Chapter Thirteen of the Girls of Friendly Terrace by Harriet Loomis Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen, Christmas Celebrations. Hello, Central. That was the wrong number. I want white six four nine two, please. No white. Yes, please. It was the day before Christmas. At the telephone exchanges, the girls half beside themselves between the people inquiring anxiously as to the fate of packages not yet delivered and others bent on extending the compliments of the season to their friends were making connections with the haste which results in waste peggy who was trying to telephone elaine and had twice received the wrong number rolled her eyes impatiently in her mother's direction reminds me of the telephones we used to make out of tin boxes and linen thread when we couldn't hear over the phone we'd run to the window and shout across the street i could have gone to the marshals twice over while i've been saving time by telephoning hello is that you mrs marshall may i speak to elaine please it was not a very long wait this time hello said a languid voice not a christmasy voice by any means hello elaine going to be dreadfully busy this afternoon oh i guess not still the voice had a wilted sound one knew instinctively that the mouth of the speaker drooped at the corners i've got something to take over to the duns i thought perhaps you'd go with me and maybe you'd like to slip some little thing into the basket a ribbon for one of the girls or a package of nuts or something of that sort all right said elaine with a sufficiently long pause before her reply to give the impression that in point of fact it was all wrong i don't mind we'll start about half-past three i think then we'll be back before it begins to be dark. Thank you ever so much. Peggy was smiling as she hung up the receiver, and then, catching her mother's eye, her inward satisfaction boiled over in a chuckle. A little Christmas missionary work? asked Mrs. Raymond, smiling too, for Peggy's pleasure in her diplomacy was infectious. Peggy nodded. Mother, you don't know how Elaine talks about Christmas. She says she wishes she could sleep right through it, and never wake up till everything was over you see it is so different from every other christmas day she can remember of course it is poor child and i think peggy continued wisely that going to see the duns is pretty likely to give one a thankful feeling if it wasn't anything but getting back where things were clean it would be quite a merry christmas all by itself besides the other girls are up to their neck in work and elaine isn't going to give any presents to speak of so she can spare the time better than anybody else when elaine slipped through the opening in the snow-covered hedge that afternoon her appearance carried out the impression her voice had given in the brief conversation over the phone she moved slowly heavily as if some unseen burden resting on her young shoulders claimed all her strength her face had the blankness of one whose thoughts are far away from her surroundings when peggy flung open the door to welcome her the contrast between the two was almost painful the one girl glowing bubbling over with cheery vitality the other wearily indifferent. The sight of the big basket waiting in the hall was successful in rousing Elaine from her apathy. "'What? All that?' she cried. Peggy laughed. "'One's the Christmas dinner, and the other has toys for the children. Oh, you needn't look so surprised. I haven't been extravagant. I've only taken up a collection and a few families where there are children, and got a lot of playthings they were tired of. Dick and I worked like Trojans, mending up things. Dick's a genius when it comes to glue and that sort of thing.' Peggy pulled off the cover of the basket in her pride. See those picture books? I made the covers of pasteboard, with calico pasted over them. The insides were almost as good as new. 
Isabel's doll has a new head from the ten-cent store, and Estelle's has a wig that belonged to another doll first. Francesca is too old for dolls, I suppose, so there's a little bead necklace for her. And Jimmy and John— Elaine interrupted. Isn't it funny that the girls should have such dressy names, and the boys such everyday ones? Mrs. Dunn names the girls, and Mr. Dunn the boys, that's why. I've got a pocket knife for Jimmy, and a Noah's Ark, and things like that for the little boys. I guess it'll seem like quite a Christmas to them, even if the toys are second-hand. Each with a basket on her arm, the two started away toward Glen Echo Avenue. The day was crisp and cool, with a clear sky overhead, and snow still white and sparkling underfoot. There were holly wreaths in the windows of almost every house they passed, and something electric tingled in the air, as if the Christmas spirit had broken bounds, and escaping from happy hearts had charged the very atmosphere. Unconsciously, Elaine's step quickened, her face brightened, and her voice, instead of reminding one of drooping flowers, was rather suggestive of bright, crisp evergreen. Over on Glen Echo Avenue the holiday spirit was in evidence. The goat, whose acquaintance Peggy had made on previous visits, had a piece of evergreen tied to one horn, and to a vivid imagination it might have seemed that he was trying to enact the role of Santa Claus's reindeer. The faces of the children wore an expression of joyful anticipation, which made Peggy a little anxious for fear that disappointment lay in wait for some of them. "'I hope they'll look as happy to-morrow,' she said to Elaine with a sigh. "'Dear, I wish I had baskets for every house instead of just one.' None of the small duns were in evidence on the street, and Peggy and Elaine made their way down the rickety stairs which led to the front door unannounced. But at the first knock the door flew open with a promptness which suggested that someone of the family had been stationed at the knob to act the part of doorkeeper. At the sight of Peggy a cry arose. "'Ma, it's Jimmy's lady, the pretty one!' Peggy blushed rosily at hearing herself thus heralded, and went on to the kitchen her scarlet face under her green hat, looking not unlike an animated sprig of holly. "'Merry Christmas, Mrs. Dunn!' she cried. "'Merry Christmas, children!' Mrs. Dunn, who sat in a rocking-chair beside the stove, a woolen scarf tied around her head, seemed rather inclined to resent the tone of the greeting. "'Thank you kindly, Miss, I'm sure,' she said. "'Though breath is cheap, and Merry Christmas ain't going to fill nobody's stomach.' She cast a covetous eye upon the girl's load and Peggy set the basket of provisions on the table, smiling encouragingly. "'I guess you'll find something filling here, Mrs. Dunn,' she said, "'and plenty of good wishes go with it.' "'Don't hardly look sizable enough to hold a turkey,' suggested Mrs. Dunn, eyeing the basket with disfavor. "'No, there isn't a turkey.' "'Chicken's a long way from a turkey,' observed Mrs. Dunn, with an apparent effort to conceal her disappointment. "'But I suppose you could call it the next best thing, a real good-sized chicken now, with stuffin'. "'There isn't a chicken either, Mrs. Dunn,' said Peggy, with firmness. "'But there's a nice roast of beef, and plenty of potatoes, and other vegetables, and a mince pie, and, oh yes, a tumbler of jelly.' The lips of the little Dunns were all ajar, as if to give visible evidence that their mouths were watering as Peggy recited the menu of their Christmas dinner. But Mrs. Dunn, evidently feeling that she owed it to herself to regard the traditions of the day, underwent an evident struggle before she could bring herself to the point of magnanimity. "'Oh, well,' she said at last, "'most beef is fillin', even if tain't what you could call temptin'. I suppose it's my complication that makes me peckish about my victuals.' She turned sharply upon the children, who were nudging one another, repeating with joyful giggles, "'Mince pie! Jelly!' Her frown reduced them to instant gravity. "'What ails you, anyway?' demanded Mrs. Dunn. 
act like you never had a christmas dinner in all your lives peggy steered the conversation from the delicate subject by opening the other basket and now it would have taken more than mrs dunn's frown to have suppressed the children's hilarity there was a chorus of voices shrill squeals which might have expressed almost anything from acute physical anguish to ecstasy and really did stand for the latter gurgles of excited laughter questions that ran into one another without waiting for answers a medley of happy voices which perhaps comes the nearest to perfect christmas music than any since bethlehem look ma it's got shoes and stockings there's animals in this here house it's a zoological garden see the baby don't he like christmas though the baby indeed was entering splendidly into the spirit of the occasion a rattle in one hand a rubber cow in the other he regarded his laughing brothers and sisters with a responsive grin revealing gums guiltless of teeth oh dear said peggy with a little gulp for all this artless joy had touched some of those sensitive nerves which lie between pain and pleasure peggy was laughing with the rest but her eyes were dewy a mew outside of the door broke in on this hilarity it's jimmy's kitty screamed estelle crossing the kitchen with a hop skip and jump she knows christmas has come and she wants to be in it the kitten for whose rescue jimmy dunn had fought so valiantly showed great improvement over her miserable self on the occasion which peggy so vividly remembered she could not be called a handsome cat even now a fractured tail had been among the injuries sustained in the hardships of her earlier existence and that member was carried on one side in a manner suggesting excessive weight though no longer muddy her fur was by no means clean and the hollowness of her sides reflected on the dun's bounty yet she purred as she entered arching her back and craning her neck under estelle's caresses in a fashion which proved conclusively that though the fair might be meagre at times there was no lack of kindness in the dun establishment for the little outcast oh here's violetta peggy cried owing to the sex of jimmy's protege mrs dunn had assumed the responsibility of naming her bestowing on the waif the name that would have been given to bill the baby if his turning out a boy had not transferred the right of decision from his mother to his father peggy rummaged in the bottom of her basket as the dunns one after another stroked violetta's back with grimy fingers and displayed their new acquisitions where has that package gone to scolded peggy i hope i haven't forgotten violetta's present oh no here it is the small duns were bursting now with joyful curiosity and when peggy produced a small package from the corner into which it had rolled and held it close to violetta's nose the hush in the kitchen was like the lull that precedes a storm the storm broke in wild outcries and hilarious laughter when violetta having sampled the catnip threw herself on her ridging backbone waved her four paws in the air and indulged in a low rumbling purr like the sound of distant thunder even mrs dunn deigned to smile law now she exclaimed that ain't no common alley cat she acts like she sensed it was christmas same as human in spite of peggy's early start the dark was coming on when they got away elaine slipped her hand through her friend's arm in a fashion that almost had the effect of a caress more wonderful still meeting peggy's eyes she smiled spontaneously not as though it cost her an effort it was nice peggy she acknowledged but at first i thought i wasn't going to like it a bit how do you put up with that woman peggy smiled indulgently mother says she quoted that gratitude is the flower of human nature at its best i used to scold about some of the people she helped because it seemed to me that they didn't half appreciate it but she always told me that it wasn't fair to expect too much gratitude from poor ignorant people 
I guess it's a good thing not to start out with your expectations too high. It keeps you from being disappointed. Your mother is so good, Peggy, Elaine said rather wistfully. It's no wonder. She checked herself as if fearful of being misunderstood. Anyway, it was lovely to see the children, she hurried on, with a quick change of tone. For a few minutes I felt as if it were really Christmas, and that's more than I expect to feel again this year. Peggy stared down the street, resolutely repressing a smile. She had good reason for knowing that Elaine was soon to have another reminder of the arrival of Christmas. She ran up to her room the minute she reached home to take a look at the miniature Christmas tree, which Dick was to place on Elaine's doorstep as soon as it was dark enough so that he could venture out without being seen. It stood up bravely in a big flower-pot, plainly refusing to be considered insignificant because of its diminutive stature. Festoons of popcorn and tinsel hung on its boughs, and gaudy ornaments made bright spots of color among the green. Each of the girls had contributed some little gift. Peggy, knowing Elaine's sensitive pride, had emphasized the point that the presents were to be the merest trifles. Rhymes accompanied each, showing varied poetical endowments on the part of the givers. Amy, after having devoted several hours to the composition of something appropriate and effective, had finally fallen back on the couplet. When this you see, remember me. Peggy, as self-appointed committee on arrangements, was very near rejecting this as unworthy the occasion. It was only Amy's pathetic appeal and her bringing into evidence the sheets of foolscap, scrawled over with her vain attempts to be witty and epigrammatic, which caused Peggy's resolution to weaken and led her at last to accept reluctantly a contribution which could hardly be considered original. Altogether it was a brave little tree, as significant of goodwill as if its tip had brushed the ceiling. It was like a cheery visible voice crying, Merry Christmas. Peggy felt sure that at the sight of it Elaine would be forced to revise her wish that she could sleep through the 25th of December without once waking. Peggy's Christmas Day was very much like other Christmas days. Indeed, it is difficult to find a new fashion in Christmases, which will be any improvement on the standard variety. There were the usual thrilling moments when the stockings were rifled. As always, there were little gifts put into big boxes, and larger gifts skillfully concealed, so their presence could not be discovered till the last moment. There were the usual kisses and assurances that everything was exactly what everybody had been hoping for, words that somehow seemed to counteract the frost and chill of the season and make the December world as balmy as June. Of course Peggy had to make a number of Christmas calls along the terrace, to see how beautifully everyone had been remembered, and equally, of course, the other girls all dropped in on Peggy during the day. That the stock of superlatives in the language had not given out long before the 25th of December drew to its close was proof positive that the supply was inexhaustible. Peggy, smiling, sleepy, and with the satisfying consciousness that everything had turned out just as she had hoped, was ready to go upstairs to bed when the telephone bell rang. A sweet voice, with a plaintive undertone, spoke her name. "'Is this Peggy Raymond?' "'Yes, this is Peggy.' but I'm afraid I don't recognize your voice. It's a little late to wish you a Merry Christmas, I'm afraid, but I couldn't let the day close without good wishes of some sort. May the new year bring you all the happiness you deserve. I don't think I could wish you anything better than that. There was an earnestness in the strange voice that went to Peggy's heart. Thank you ever so much, she answered gratefully, but I'm sure that every year so far has brought me lots of happiness I didn't deserve at all. It's queer, she added, changing the subject hastily, but I can't seem to think who you are. 
a girl who does as much as you do to make other people happy the strange voice persisted deserves the best of everything good night peggy dear but who peggy was beginning when a little click told her that her question if completed would fall on the empty air she hung up the receiver perplexed and as near disappointed as was possible at the close of so perfect a day didn't she say who she was peggy asked herself it seems as if i ought to remember a voice so sweet but it didn't sound a bit familiar she paused at the door of the parlor to take a last look at the denuded christmas tree and the table where the gifts were still displayed for the benefit of friends who might drop in within a day or two and went slowly to her room but in her dreams she heard again and again a gentle voice pensive and sweet whispering a happy new year to dear peggy raymond End of chapter 13